point. It's an inspiring time to be in New York, maybe? Yeah, it's the best time, really. I mean, this is there's there's like, you know, I would say two to three weeks in between seasons where it's really nice in New York. <laughs> so we, we all kind of wait for that six weeks, you know, throughout the year where it's really super nice. Um, and people just sit outside all day. I mean, I, I do too. We're all windows open. Do you feel like those other weeks beside other months besides the two to three that do feel really special like do you get kind of that drag down feeling ever or are you still in the oh, in the for, romance no, phase of no, new york no. i was never really in the romance phase <laughs> i don't know how i skipped that um i think christmas is nice you know if i've never been here actually on christmas but that time of year is actually nice i do like that uh but that's it really interesting because summer's the worst though I do not. It, it's tough. It's too hot. I just can't. You actually get worse. You get dragged down more by the summer than the winter. Hundred percent. hundred percent. Interesting. Yeah. I hate it. Hate it. So there is this piece recently in the Shouts and Murmurs section of the New Yorker by someone named Sirocco Dunlap, which is an incredible name. But she she had a really good piece about. Movie. Is that is that Irish or like a pin name? <laughs> it sounds like. Or a, is that Puffy's new name? <laughs> <laughs> Sirocco Dunlap. So, that would be like if a leprechaun loved Sirocco. Sirocco. But it's not O Dunlap. It's Sirocco. Oh, Dunlap. okay, okay. I'm sorry. I was. I, I didn't see it. So give myself a pass. But it's NYC to LA to NYC to oh, yeah, LA ad infinitum. Yeah. Um, ad infinitum. But it was basically the 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 gist of it was that kind of search for inspiration that afflicts the New Yorker, you know, when it gets too dirty, when it gets too, you know, basically I'll read one. When I realized New York was a cesspit filled with the viscera of broken dreams, I decided that the time had come for me to move to beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. When I arrived in L.A. and realized that it was creatively dead, had a withered husk for a soul, and considered ombre the height of culture, (laughs) I took the first plane back to New York. And she does this over and over and over yeah, and over until she's a she basically implodes. No, that thing was really happier. that thing was really good. Yeah. I saw that a lot. That was people really like that. Do you feel that kind of search for inspiration that afflicts her in the piece, or yeah, def- do you? I mean, to an extent, sure. I think that I'm in a fortunate position where I get to leave enough where I don't feel super stifled. Um, but I think that LA is great, and it was the first place I wanted to live. You know, that wasn't where I was from. But it, um, it is a little. I mean, it's definitely not the same culturally in a in a bad way, um, and it's a little lonely. I feel like, um, but the weather, and I have a lot of friends there, and the, everything's good. It's just not quite as good. So this episode is about finding inspiration, but it ended up really being about change, place, time, youth, all those things that we're kind of talking about right now. Um, Sean, who aka boy slash friend, is a R and B artist, really incredible writer and singer. And I spoke about uh, getting older and breaking up with, you know, how how his relationships with women is changing, what he's writing, but also looking for something different in those relationships and in the city of New York. Um, we're actually going to play a song later that's about just that, and it's very special to this very location. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, but also Brian Purcell, who is the curator and founder of Purcell Shop on, on Delancey. It's got basically the best collection of vintage inspiration for the fashion industry. Um, 
But it turned out with him that those moments of change, like people looking for something new or like a style changing were really what made his customers like need him, which is really interesting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think especially with celebrities and musicians and, and those the brands that he works with, it's, you know, it's trend based. So if, you know, metal tees are the hot thing, he's the right. guy and you've got them and you he you get them from him for a price and right. it's, it's one place to go. You don't have to do all the searching yourself, which is the whole, it's a time thing. Exactly. He told this really funny story about when everyone switched from fitteds to snapbacks. <laughs> That's when he, that was like his aha moment and like his, this was this great like sea change. That's and so funny. That's so true though. I'm sure that was like a whole thing. He's like, if you'll hear it, he's like, Yo, I want to go on record that, like, I was the first guy to, like, have the snapbacks. I'm like, I own that. Like, I don't get credit for that. It's really funny. Um, it's the, the feeling outside today, you know, it's beautiful. It's March 9th. Talking to Brian and Sean, reading that New Yorker piece, it reminded me of this other thing. Because there's, there's, there's a lot of things that came up were New York and kind of, like, growing out of it a little bit and getting sort of that feeling of change and having that this rub be very inspiring to people but there's this Joan Didion short story at the risk of sounding like a complete um, pretentious New Yorker oh you already do don't worry about that <laughs> don't, don't worry about that um it's goodbye to all that, which is basically her. Like she had this long love affair with New York. She moved. It's like the it's like the template for that yeah, it, writer. It, it's the original right. of that whole thing that is but such she, a trend now. But it reminded me of this. She was walking. She lo- she remembered walking around New York and liking that this this feeling of all the sweet promises of money and summer. Mm-hmm. It's a really great quote. You always look for that. That's always like just within reach. <laughs> is this still inspiring to you? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I don't let the annoying stuff bog me down that much i mean i know it's there and i'm aware of it but you have to look past it we're all in it together that's the one thing about new york that i feel is that you know you're walking down the street and it's you know you see every kind of person and everyone kind of there's just that uniting factor of like yeah this sucks sometimes you know what i mean Uh. like it's the greatest i say this i've said this many many times it's the best of everything and the worst of everything in one place hmm it is. It's the it's the absolute best and the absolute worst, and you just got to know how to navigate that to make it work for you. Yeah, I mean, I this is like gonna be so cliche again, but sometimes I just need to walk. So, sometimes a walk around in the right place at the right time yeah. of this city can be like a tonic for me. I, no, I I agree hundred percent. I think a lot of people would agree with that. One thing that definitely has been on the minds of a lot of people who who work here droga five i don't even know if we've ever actually mentioned that on the podcast (laughs) but uh we're here at droga five which has moved to the financial district about i don't know two years a year and a half something like that big change where were you before we were on lafayette in noho above right at fourth in lafayette it was heaven it was heaven i didn't realize yeah and especially this is a beautiful building it's a great building, and great loca- office. Location isn't bad, but it's different. It's so different. And when you work at a creative agency, a creative company, and you, you know, you can walk outside to find inspiration so quickly at that location. I mean, your 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 one direction is Washington Square Park. One direction is East Village. One direction is Soho. Yeah, you're there. So you know, you walk outside and you're just confronted with with people who are who are inspired and inspiring. A little different here, but in order to kind of commiserate a bit it's been winter i think people here in 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 the office are feeling like things are picking up i think that you know at what we were talking about with the weather picking up but we were talking about you know you walk outside and it's it's sometimes it sucks and you're all in it together like this neighborhood can be can be um 
a lot of the the worst stuff I feel like you were confronted with and not as much of the best stuff. There's the river, you know, there's some stuff, there's some history, it's cool. But Boy Slash Friend, who's on the episode, he sings this song about a breakup, but a breakup with this city, really, and it's a long, drawn-out breakup, and he's still here, obviously. He yeah. lives here. He lives in the neighborhood, and it's called Maiden Lane and Broadway. Um, I'll let this the writer and singer you know, describe it to you later on the episode, but I want to play that. It's about a tough winter in New York, um, and we'll get into that, and then talk to Brian, and then we'll be coming back, obviously, for the lightning round, which I promise will be more uplifting. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> hey, shit. man, this isn't, you know, it's just honest. It doesn't need to be, everything doesn't need to be uplifting. That wouldn't be a fair portrayal of, of, of the world. No All right, let's do it. songs in my restaurant no way yeah at rom thai yeah we're recording should i edit that out no it's cool <laughs> <laughs> so rom thai is in my neighborhood yeah you should come through for a session i would love to yeah we just like get wasted and i mean my bar's there so we usually just drink and just record and smoke and oh, i smoke cigarettes but my friends smoke weed but uh fuck i hope my I, i'm not gonna tell my parents to <laughs> Yeah, and, and the uh, like Department yeah. of Health. No, just kidding. Yeah, right. Shouts out to Ram Thai. It's good swag, Thai food, swag, man. Swag, swag. So your parents own this ra- Thai restaurant. My dad. Your dad. Yeah, my dad's owned it for almost twenty years now. Wow. He started with his uncle, my uncle, and uh, they were doing it for ten years, and then I started. Uh, I came in like maybe seven years ago, and I've been doing that since. So, so, you know, how has the writing process for these songs been different than for the songs on Low Key, which was your debut, right? Tech, yeah, real yeah. debut album. Oh, the, the writing process of, 
Okay, like how how is low key different from like my other songs? Or how is the new stuff? What was the what was the you know, how did the yeah, inspiration? Yeah, yeah. For sure. How is it different? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, when I first started off, I was working only with Mountain, so your producer. Yeah, so that mostly started off with uh, songs that I had written, like you know, in the shower, uh, just like walking home, and uh, Christian basically Mountain turn those into uh, produced tracks. Um, so we've always had that connection, you know, like it's, it's been a very intimate, um, intimate writing process with him. Um, he knows me the most. And uh, yeah, we just started in my bath, like in my bathroom. This sounds so sexual. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we started recording in my bathroom, man, like most artists. And then um, for low key, it's just been, um, a big growth, I feel, and it was just a different process because um, I wasn't just working with Mountain. There's a lot of different producers on there. So we were just really searching for a new sound. Like, we were really trying to push R&B to uh, places it's never gone before, you know? And uh, that was, uh, part of that was working with, like, producers from the UK. Um, Joseph Marinetti, he's really in the grime and, like, two-step, like, scene like real glitchy shit you know um but also keeping r&b at where, where it should be you know so it, this this album wasn't so much about songwriting it was more about pushing the sound for sure the new one the the low-key was low-key yeah so i want to talk about that for sure because on the song timelines oh right. timeline yeah timelines all right it's an interlude but it's, it's an like interlude, a yeah. song thanks so, man they don't make them like this no more. They don't sing no more. True players don't exist no more. Ooh, did you know that line? <laughs> well, I feel like it's the, it's the kind of thesis statement yeah. for what you just described and what you feel like yeah. you're trying to do for R&B. And I really want to talk wow, about... Wow, damn. Well, I want to talk oh, about... <laughs> I fuck with you right now. I like it, man. I love the music. That's and awesome. I want to talk about... That means a lot. No, no, of course. You know, are you a traditionalist? Do you take your inspiration from, from you know, great R&B sounds from the past? Or is there something, you know, that you feel like you'd want to inject into the future of R&B? And that's yeah, where you for sure. inspiration. Yeah, you know, I'm really into the nostalgic R&B, like the, the golden era, you know, like the 90s and the early 2000s. I know that's like super cliche, but like that was the shit right there, you know? dudes that were really singing and pouring their heart out and like being on a bended knee you know so that was like my whole thing that's what I'm about and uh as far as pushing it like I'm really into the underground music scene you know most of it's not from like singers or artists it's a lot coming from DJ and producers you know so uh, my A&R Jason Scott he he really introduced me into that whole underground world of like these DJ and producers, so a lot of them don't have singers on it, and we've just been listening to those songs and uh, connecting with them and trying to make these beats that they have and these ideas into like real records. You know, that's right. one problem with these DJ producers is like they're awesome at creating this world, this aesthetic of of sounds and and new rhythms, but they don't have the songwriting. You know, so. It's Jason's job and my job to like get in touch with these artists, I mean these producers and uh, DJs to actually make records. So is, you know, 
what what I'm hearing is that you're like there's a sound that's missing. You right. think from R&B from a production yeah. standpoint, but that you want to marry that with the singers and the like kind of traditional R&B like emotional yeah. impulse, and you feel like that's missing a little yeah. bit. Yeah, gentleman R&B lyrics, <laughs> <laughs> the romance, you know, it's gone. I'm trying to bring that shit back, bro. It's needed. These girls are damaged out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're lucky you got your girl, man. She's she's she knows what it is. Yeah, she's she's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's definitely helping. Out. You could blank that out. I don't know if you're single on the internet, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of different yeah. like inspirational sources. I feel like obviously personal experiences. We just talked about yeah. you know the gentleman singer. Um, you know, take me through like a song like Made in Lane and Broadway. You know, that's got personal experiences in it, obviously, because that's, you know, means something to you as a location. Right. Um, there's clearly something that happened over the winter, you know, yes. that, that might have inspired the lyrics. But mm-hmm. also it's got that, you know, that that player, singer, um, early 90s R&B melody to it. Right. So, you know, take me through, like, where a song like that comes from for you. Okay. I could spe- uh, speak specifically about that record. Um, I literally I literally wrote that song just the way it happened. Um, I was out, wasted one night. And uh, I came home. I was laying in my bed and I couldn't sleep. I was just really frustrated with the winter. Like, I've, I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I'm originally from Queens. Um, but yeah, I live on Maiden Lane and Broadway. And I was just laying in my bed, looking at the ceiling and being frustrated with myself. Like, loving New York and being raised here is an awesome thing, but I just feel like this is not the be-all, end-all for me. You know, I'm, I'm looking more towards sunshine. I'm, I'm looking more towards um, palm trees and the beach. So during that moment, it's just like another thing about me wanting to move out to the West Coast, you know, and not doing it another winter here. So... Um, I just really related New York as that girl that never loved me, you know? And uh, that's what that song was about. And it's just super frustrating to live in the city. It's a super masochistic thing, you know? So um, I think for me, it's time for me to like keep it moving and, and, and find somewhere else for sure, you know? Would you say that you find more inspiration for your music from experiences and insights like that or from all these, you know, the list of references we could probably rattle off from Justin Timberlake, who is one of my favorite artists ever. Uh, I think that you have some stuff in in common with uh, sound-wise. You know, The Dream, also, we both love, I've heard read. But, you know, I hear, like, Genuine and Usher and all that, too. Like, would you say that you're primarily inspired by a moment like you just described in your own life or by artists like that? I mean, shit. That's a good question. It's it's really it's really 50-50, man. Like, those guys influence me so much with my music. But then I realize that I have to be myself, you know? And I have my own experiences. So I definitely... They're like the textbooks, you know? Like, I've studied those artists. And then when it comes into my own own life, like I have to do it my own way. So, so yeah, it's fifty fifty for sure. Do you feel like um, 
I feel a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hear it in the music. I mean, the like, there's so much feeling in it. I think the melody you have an ear, you have an ear for melody that's really, really powerful. Oh, word! You have good looks, man. No, I mean, it's like I love that the the first song. Um, it's one of the best melodies on there. Like, when did you realize that that was something that was in you? Melody? You know, going back, yeah, and just the voice or whatever, you know. Yeah, you know, um, I actually, uh, I've been playing music since I was a kid, since like fourth grade. I started on the piano. My mom used to drag me out of the car to take piano lessons, and I hated it, which I really regret because the piano is just penny dropper slash songwriting like. Dude, if I if I stuck to the piano, I'd be so nice at, at songwriting and pitch. But um, then I, I picked up the, the clarinet. My, my sister, I, I didn't know what to play. My sister was just like, maybe you should just play the clarinet. So that's what I picked up. And I got no buns from playing that. I was playing that for the longest, bro. But Woody Allen and certainly then, has gone. And then I ended up uh, playing the saxophone after that. Oh, I was okay. like hoping that, you know. That's a bit better. I was like, all right, Bill Clinton's playing the sax. Like, hopefully, hopefully I'll get some buns. Still no buns. And then I started playing the drums. Got a little bit of buns. A little bit, but not nothing crazy. I was still a virgin. And then, uh, and then yeah, bro. Like, I, I still I got into music school playing the sax and the clarinet. I was in the jazz program at NYU. Um, and then... Oh, like even backtracking, like I never thought I was gonna be a singer. Like that was never a thing. I, I, I never, I auditioned for choir at my music school and I didn't get in and I was like 12. So I never thought like singing was gonna be a thing for me. But uh, yeah, just in high school, I was singing in the shower and you know, like, you know, all the Justin Timberlake, Usher, Omarion, Donnell Jones songs, like I was just running that in the shower. And then, and then that was it, bro. Like. Uh, I ended up singing and writing songs in college. Um, and, you know, I look back and playing the clarinet is kind of what taught me how to do the breathing and the, the tone and the pitch. It's the same thing for singing. So I kind of just translated that into singing and that was it. But I'm not a real professional trained singer at all. Like it's been a big process of learning how to sing, you know? Right. Like, I'm lucky enough that I'm in an era where, you know, auto-tune is cool, and, you know, I'm not using auto-tune. And then um, being in an era where, like, people aren't doing, like, crazy riffs and shit, like Boys to Men or, like, Jodeci, like, shit like that, I'm just basically singing, like, a normal, I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? So if, if I was in that era, it would have been bodied, like, for sure, but I'm lucky that I'm not in that era anymore. <laughs> But I'm trying to save that era, so. You are trying to save that era. Tell me a little bit more about that. Why do you want to save it? What's about, what is it about right now that makes it feel like it needs to be saved? Yeah, man. I mean, the lyrics, like the, the lyrics and the, uh, the romance, you don't really hear that anymore with artists. Like it's almost like really corny, um, if they're doing it. And usually they're just irrelevant and they like don't know what's up. And uh, a lot of these, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I fuck with like, you know, the sing rapping thing. It's cool. I like the the uh, the dancing back and forth of singing and rapping. I think it's cool. Is it for me? No. 
Um, is everyone doing it? Yeah. Um, but I just think this shit is like the that era is just so classic, you know, and that's what I want to do. I don't want to be like another sing rappy songy guy, you know. And I know it's super popular right now, but I need to like stand by what I believe in. So what inspired the latest batch of songs? You have a new EP you're recording, right? Yeah, my what? ex. Ooh. <sighs> I'm about to be on my Adele shit, bro. <laughs> They're not ready. Um, yeah, this this is a a big uh, a big heartbreak project. Like it's really it's really sad. It's really emotional. It's really uh, thought out. Just like coming to an age like like the age that we're in you know you're just thinking about different things when it comes to love and relationships you know mm. and it's a different game man it's not like how i used to treat women so this is like a very big tipping point for me um and you're gonna hear that a lot in the album it's a lot of ballads and just a lot of songwriting like really hard songwriting like heartfelt songwriting from like early 90s feeling um and it's really underproduced like I left it really empty and bare because I feel like on the last project I was really chasing a sound and not really focusing so much on what I wanted to say and I was really just trying to uh match vocals to a beat that I've never experienced before but now it's just like back to the piano and the guitar and the songwriting you know so it's gonna be it's gonna be dope, man. Nice. It's not like lit. It's not for the club or anything. It's just like, it might be even more headphone music, you know? Point. Up next is Brian Procell, curator and archivist of, in his words, the best apparel for inspiration. His shop on Delancey Street is called Procell. We're talking about where he got the inspiration to do what he does and why his work is so inspiring for others. You know, in the shop we have no, um, no storage whatsoever. Yeah, I definitely want to know where you store. And uh, I, it forces us to kind of like rent a, a space right above the, the shop. Oh, you do? Yeah, so it's actually a classic Chinatown hotel. It's like a boarding um, no way. you know, building, boarding room house or whatever. Like boarding a flop house. house? Yeah, like flop house. That's um, tight. Maybe the kind that, like, I, f- I forgot who just wrote about it. I think maybe, like, New York Mag wrote about, like, all of these, these classic Chinatown spots where the rooms are probably the size of, of, of the studio, like the size of a, a prison cell. Really? Um, yeah, it's a How many pretty, rooms? pretty dark analogy. <laughs> um, there, I, got, I gotta say there's probably, like, 60 rooms in that building it's pretty appropriate that uh you have a really old decrepit authentic yeah. new york city so new york space above your store it's crazy right above the delancey street jay-z it's stop. a great location <laughs> yeah i'm very happy um the i don't know I, I like it so much because somebody might be in the lower east side and they're like hey we gotta walk. Let's walk. It's a beautiful day. Let's walk over to Soho, and they're coming across my right. my spot. Or they're like, "Hey, we're in Chinatown. Let's go to Nolita," and they're gonna cross. You know, they're gonna stop by the shop. So, we're like directly. We're in a great position. We're we're in between everything, you know. Yeah. So speaking of storage, which you have above the store, Procell, 
Uh, can you take me back a bit to like your personal history with <laughs> collecting stuff? Because clearly this is something you've been doing for a long time. I mean, you've got the polo, yeah, low life I was obsession. Obsessed with for for a long time. Was polo? No, just the idea uh, of collecting. Right. You know, I was always just a. I have, I have a such a um, a weird. Also, like interrupt me if I if I like get on off track. You know. You probably won't. Um, I've got a. I don't know. I'm not, I'm also not used to really talking about my history, but I would say sometimes it's like the movie Slumdog Millionaire, where you have like <laughs> all these weird scenarios that kind of lead up to. Um, your, you know, whatever the protagonist getting to where where he is, and everybody's just like, how the fuck does this kid know all of this? And then like, you know, it's like, how do how does this guy who's from Elizabeth, New Jersey, a total you know total shithole, um, know about you know uh, Herman Miller furniture or like you know uh, skateboarding? No one skates in Elizabeth. New is Jersey. it super suburban? Uh, no, it's real urban. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, How did I miss that. I'm not, I don't know much. My about backyard is basically like IKEA and oh, okay. uh, Newark. Okay, it's um, one of those. Newark International Airport. <laughs> yeah, that Jersey. And like the shipping containers, and you know what you see when you're watching Sopranos, the, the okay. first five seconds. Right. Um, in Before the intro, he gets to the just the intro. Other part. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's where I'm from, and and but I lived really really close to the city, and growing up, I would. I would take the train a lot, and I would get into, um, you know, Penn Station, then take, like, the ACE. Sometimes I'd walk, but I'd take the ACE down to, to West 4th and uh, walk probably down to St. Mark's Place. And I'd go uh, record shopping, or I'd chill, and I'd, I'd observe. And uh, I'd walk around Soho, and I wouldn't walk around Soho to shop at that time. I would walk around to kind of, like, just get inspired because – there were a few galleries that were still there that were really interesting. Um, the the art, the street level art, was really really rad, and the people uh, seemed cool. So I was a big like people watcher, and that really kind of like affected me. Um, and I would would kind of like take it from there, and I'd meet interesting characters, and and a lot of that kind of just stuck with me. So at the time we're talking nineties. Did you start picking up? Patches, stickers, um, tapes, because you have the most ridiculous collection yeah. of patches and stickers. I, I and... picked up stickers. Uh, patches I don't really have much access to, but patches I did uh, know. I did see them on on clothing, and I, I, you know, they were they were something that really attracted me. There was attracted me to the the garments, um, just because a lot of the clothing that we were wearing at that time, you know, were emblazoned by like all this fucking rad like branding which were, in most part, patches. Um, stickers is what I really had access to, and, and I would go to the local record stores on Broad Street in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and that was what I could afford. This dude would have, like, a folder of, like, promo stickers, and I'd buy them for, like, a dollar to, like, $3 a piece. And one thing that, that kind of pushed my, my obsession to, to collect stickers was uh, putting them on my skateboard. Number one, I love them as is. I love them as, like, just objects of art, like, already made. You know, there was nothing to them. I just, it was cool to collect, and I, like, just really appreciated them. So how did you get into collecting vintage proper? I don't know, because the thing is, it's not just, you know, right. you have clothing, obviously, but you've got, like, 
charms, uh, key, you know, keychains, yeah, just the, paraphernalia um, of all sorts. Like, when did it become the whole nine? Right, like every every little every little thing. Um, a lot of that to me is a reflection of 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 lifestyle. Like, I'm really I was really interested in like lifestyle. Um, before the streetwear bubble of like the early and mid two thousands, I I had this kind of like. I was just into the idea of like refined taste as a kid, whatever I, whatever that meant, you know, like I kind of put my own spin on what good taste was just from like observing and walking around, you know, when I would walk around the city, when I was younger, I would stop into furniture shops too. And, and at the time, like maybe I would walk into like the, the, the normal ones or the basic ones that were like basic to good taste, which would be like Vitra or like uh design within reach. And I was this 15-year-old that somehow was was obsessed with that stuff. It was nerdy. I was like, whoa, man, I can't wait to, to have, like, a fucking womb chair when I'm older. <laughs> um, and, 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 and you could apply that to, like, everything, you know, whether it's, like, your shoes or, like, what, your, your wallet or, or your, like, the key ring that, that you have. So when, when I started to kind of curate for retail... I went on these like interesting um, trips that were just kind of like me trying to acquire and, and travel uh, to shop for like the, the stores that I was that was trying to, I don't know, hook up. One thing that we were putting in there was vintage North Face jackets. Oh, okay. And we were, and I didn't see that anywhere, but they were, they had all, you know, the palette of, of these like of, of their shit in the 80s and, and early 90s was bananas. Like some of the ski jackets, they had some some fuchsia and some you know some teal and 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 hit, hits of like yellow on on this pullover jacket. It's just like damn, this is fire. And if you think about how everyone was dressing back then in the during the streetwear bubble, those were the colors that that people had on head to toe. You know they they were very very loud. Everything was very loud. Right. Um, this is when, when everyone was rocking the Bapestas, you know, the, those, those, the, the, the pleather sneaker. It was just, everyone was a Skittle (laughs) (laughs) walking up and down. And I thought like, why not with all over prints? Yeah, that was, that was a really big thing. So I'm like, why not have something that no one else has that still kind of vibes with what's going on? That's still relative. So we, we brought that in and I'm like, shit, why not like get, all right, cool. We just ordered these new chaser puss head shirts why not try to seek out some of the older stuff, some of the, you know, some of the pieces from like the eighties that, that were, that were really rad. And, and I feel like people would want to buy. So that was kind of like my first uh, experience with providing the general public, my take on vintage at the time. And something that was really crazy about that location is it was right up the street from, from the triple five soul warehouse and, and the, Whoa. The, yeah, talk about talk about like <laughs> yeah. some old school shit or old school brands. You know, Triple Five Soul. Unfortunately, a lot of people know them because of their their uh, just, just I don't know. They they just they were so fucking corny at the end of their life. You know, like they blew up and they became this insane powerhouse brand. But in their early stages, they were really fucking cool yeah. and influential and just seminal to the idea of like you know. Uh, New York street brand. So anyways, this monster company's triple five solo was, was up the block 
And they were kind of just like they were dying down. They had all this space, and what they were doing was they were renting the the, the top floor to to Vice, you know, at the time. Oh, so, okay, yeah. So Vice was was headquartered there, right? And they were only headquartered there because Triple Five was like, "Fuck, we need somebody to kind of like, we need to sublet this space because yeah. we have too much of it, and we're not really doing so well." And at, at any rate, like Vice and Triple Five dudes would come hang out at our store down the block on during their lunch break, and. And that kind of exposed me to like this whole new just network, and um, I was cool with everybody there. I was just everybody was like, "Yo, this young kid just kind of like he's he's got this cool little shop here, and and uh, he's got a cool little network." Because I was hanging out with like a lot of my crew was all like the early twenty year old like graffiti writers of like New York City. That's just kind of who I I uh, w- when I moved into the city you know, post uh nine eleven, that was just kind of like who I started hanging out with and who I who I wanted to, to be around. You know, I I don't mean to say that in a in a in a negative way or derogatory way. So with all these these profession these young professionals hanging out with me, one of one of them eventually approached me and it was like, Hey dude, uh, I'm one of the OGs at Triple Five. I'm one of the, the the founders. I'm not 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 the founder. I'm not Camilla or 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 you know I forgot the other two dudes' names. Um, but I was I was there from the beginning, and I've got equity, and I've got my own brand that I actually sold to Triple Five, and I'm the creative director. And what I want to do is I want to kind of create a housing, create a it's it, a, a store for this brand that I've been working on. It's my passion project. And he's like, look, I like what you do here. I think there's a lot you can bring, you know, if you come with me and and come to my team. If no one had no one had a section for vintage Northeast. Right. No one had a Tommy Hilfiger section. No one actually had a place where you can go and pick up like vintage polo at that time. And I brought all of this to New York City. And yeah. and and if anyone out there in the world can uh, can can tell me otherwise, please step up to the plate. But one really big thing is, I created the first store to have. Um, a selection of vintage snapbacks, and that uh. was the game changer at the time. Such a big deal. Why? Because everyone was fitted the fuck out. Everyone was uh, obsessed with new era hats, and 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 that was just amazing. To the point where kids would walk into the store, pick up a snapback, and say like, "Yo, how much is this fitted?" <laughs> they didn't have yeah. it in their vocabulary. It was part of like the lexicon. They were just like, "All I know is." to call a hat a fitted. So that was like around the time that this went from, you know, like an inkling of something that you wanted to do, collecting all this stuff, to really like realizing that this could be... A profession, a career. So when when, when was the moment like when you realized that um, this could, this stuff could be super inspiring to people? Well, when... uh when designers started to walk in the store and say like, Hey, yeah. uh, I work for so-and-so. Um, do you take Amex? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, can we, can we buy this whole shelf? And I'm just like, Whoa, this is fucking, this is rad. This is fascinating. And I'm like, by the way, do you know about this, that, and the third? And they're just like, no, tell me more. And, and I was really young and naive. Um, but you know, long story short, when I left, I created a consulting company and that, and that, that went really, really well for me, and I've I've worked with with almost everybody that I've wanted to work with now, um, and that ranges from Supreme New York opening ceremony uh, to LVMH, 
um, they've all at some point come to me for for reference. But you know, taking it back to to that time, uh, because we were pre fitted the snapback tran- transition, like before we were the because we were the first. Everyone was coming to us um, because they started to realize that there was some, some kind of a there was a, there was a shift that was about to happen. So, in order for their companies to stay alive, in order for them to be able to evolve, um, they needed to examine the, the the OG, the blueprint, the original. So, oh. um, and, and that's how it all works. That's how every designer out there works. And a lot of people, they don't they don't really think about that part of the industry. And and I I. I'm okay with that, and I'm, the reason why I'm okay with that is because it, it <laughs> it's fascinating to talk about, but also there's not a lot of competition because a lot of people don't go, it, you know, they're they're like, oh, I want to I, I want to be that when I grow up because they just don't realize that it's an actual job, right? Um, so, are you finding that these designers and these, um, you know, artists are they looking to the past? Be for inspiration because the designs in and of themselves are great, or because that's something that we're looking for—nostalgia, or you know. Uh, I mean, I, I really don't think it's is as it's as deep as that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the reason why why they need someone like me is because the the system the fashion system um that that they're part of needs to have them turn over these designs in in a with with this really really strict deadline so when we think about it all of the great designers that that we love do you really think that they all get inspired at the same time and they're able to crank out product like um at at, at, within like these seasons no i don't think inspiration works that way it's not a menstrual cycle like it's not like it it it, 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 you can it's not like you know when it's going to strike you but you have a vibe and you if you want to have commercial success you know where you have to look or you know what you have to kind of uh you know you have to do for the public so i don't know Again, I've 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 gone off track. No, I mean I think it's true. Like they just need you need like they need it because they need to to have it on the runway. They, they need to have it at the yeah. trade shows and they need to have it, yeah. you know, at, at that time. So they will pay whatever it is in order for it to get into their hands, to get into the designers' hands. Right. And at the end of the day, somebody like me actually ends up saving these com- these companies insane amounts of money because. It's in every designer's job description, whether it's like literal or, or not, um, to actually go out and hunt and source. So a lot of these designers, they they they're out in the flea markets, they're out in the field, they're they're spending insane amounts of time on on Etsy and eBay. And if they can have somebody like me that can bring them what they're looking for, it's it just spells relief. It's like, wow, dude, thank you so much. This is exactly what we needed. Right. Or like, wow, we didn't even realize. Um, that there was more to what we were looking for, you know, like you were able to kind of like concentrate on this while we were able to do something else. Right. And that's, that's almost invaluable. So yeah. there was one really interesting moment that you, that you shared. I printed it out here. First of all, it's, it's, it's a picture of like the most Raiders hats <laughs> I've ever seen in one place. Vintage Raiders, yeah. a couple of Los Angeles Kings. Obviously, one look at these hats. I'm just describing it's a it's a Facebook. I mean, a Instagram post. 
you know, you instantly think of NWA, right. or at least early 90s West Coast hip-hop. And you wrote, first of all, the, my questions are, one, like, how the hell did you have this many Raiders hats just lying around? The crazy thing is I've had so much more than that. <laughs> I just, I've done a really shitty job of documenting what I've, what has gone through my fingers. And two, take me through why you think that it was a misrepresentation in costume direction. So the reason you posted this photo was because Straight Outta Compton came out. Right, You right, felt right. like they could have done a better job. Do you uh, feel totally. like- <laughs> I just think that they thought no one really cared. And, and that they can pull something off with cutting these corners. And at, at the end of the day, it's true. You know, the majority of people out there don't really give a fuck. They just wanted to see a good movie. They wanted to have a, an, an understanding of what was going on at the time. And that's all that was necessary is for something to kind of just remotely look the part. But I think when you're talking Hollywood... And you and you want I don't know just perfect your fucking craft like go a step further it's not really hard. <laughs> you're it's so easy these days just fucking click a hashtag and you'll see how many people out there are trying to like sell vintage Raiders hats, and and that was really really disappointing for me. Um, you know, throw it in Google like just go a little harder. And I thought what really was going on is there might have been some kind of a partnership there. You know, don't quote me on this, but it's possible that New Era, one of the giants in the game, or, or Mitchell and Ness, one of, one, yeah. of, one of those companies, uh, stepped up to them and they were like, hey, yeah. you know, like we can give you all this product for free totally. or you can um, or, or they, they might have they might have, you know, paid. paid. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's, it's, a, it's all advertorial. Seen, yeah. The whole world is advertorial, <laughs> which is bananas. I've and never also, seen more hats in one movie in my entire life. <laughs> every scene had a new brand yeah. new. It was like a, the, when you look at the sidelines of, the, of a football game and they yeah. in, put, instantly put on a hat. Totally. You've been fitting, outfitting, you know, rappers, Drake, uh, ASAP Ferg, all these guys have been coming to get T-shirts for tours and videos, but sometimes the T-shirts are so, apparently, so good to you, in your opinion, that you need them back because this is a photo where you have an Onyx shirt on that you let, bought, let ASAP <laughs> Rocky borrow. For a yeah. video, Lord Pretty Flack, whatever, Jody 2, whatever the hell Right, right, like. right. Um, well, he, this, like everything in my life or like every answer, I feel like that's also a little bit complicated. But let me like walk you through it a little bit. Uh, some artists don't give a fuck. And they're just like, you know what? I just need this right now. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. Like, if, it, if, it's, if it's not going to be any skin off my back and it's not going to be too much trouble... Let me hook you up. Let me do that for you, right? And then some people are just interested in um, what the price is. And I feel like that particular shirt, that Onyx shirt, I don't know. I've been, I've been looking around for, you know, just, just testing the water, seeing if anyone's offering it, seeing if it's for sale. It's probably only come up like, uh, let's, just, let's just say online and and let's say uh, curated boutiques in the U.S. and in Japan. So in the last five years, with what I've been paying attention to, I've only seen that shirt probably offered five times. I I had an opportunity there to kind of have that that Onyx shirt featured in in Rocky's thing, and then have it back, it, and it and it fits me. So I was just like, yeah, I'm glad to have this back. What do you, you think know? he finds inspiring about all these guys about going back like this right now? Because these shirts are sh- popping up in Drake Tours videos, every yeah. a, a lot of like you know Travis Scott's wearing your stuff. Because it's the ultimate flex. 
Yeah, it's like I have something that if you ask your assistant to find for you and you gave them a week's time and you said, I don't care if it's $10,000, just get it to me. They wouldn't be able to get it to you, you know? So that, that, that's incredible. That's really, really awesome. And I think people really, I'd like to emphasize how rare these shirts are. Um, and we're going through a time right now because they're, they're, they're so valuable. A lot of people are trying to boot like them. Which is which is interesting too. I mean, yeah, sure. You don't want to pay five, six hundred dollars for a shirt, but the amount of time that you're gonna spend looking for it, and the amount of time you're en- gonna end up probably, uh, I mean, the amount of money that you're gonna end up investing in, in buying it, is is probably gonna be way more than than coming to us or coming to me to to purchase the shirt. Let's say Public Enemy, they were monsters with like licensing, like they they had it on 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 lock. So, it's way easier to get a public enemy shirt than let's say than let's say like a gravedigger shirt. Like good luck trying to find a gravedigger shirt. Have you ever got one? Yeah. Do, Do you have, have a one eight hundred suicide? No, it's it's got the. Uh, That's one of my favorite albums ever. It's got the the, the it's so, it's so six good. feet deep is the album. So it's it's got a a, a, a toe tag on the back. So it's got uh, a foot, okay. um, and it's a cadaver. And it's Do you still in, have it? No, that's no. a pretty dark shirt. It's a really dark shirt, and the toe tag says six feet deep. It's really incredible. Oh, what a great! Album. And I found that. I found that in the wild. So when I say wow. in the wild, I found that at a thrift store. Wow! And that was a lot of hard work. And I've I've only found one grave digger shirt in the wild, and in, in my thirty two years of existence, it's really fucking hard. That's to find. Going, the lengths we will go for inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. These these shirts are. It, these shirts are pretty fucking rare. Uh, one thing about these shirts, though, and again, like everything that I say is, I don't know, keep keep me on track, but I really want to get this out there. Is when I had my first shop, that one store in the Lower East Side, we were the first to carry like a really amazing selection of snapbacks, right? And we were able to educate the public and say like, these were the cheaper snapbacks, so these were the more expensive, the harder to find. These were like the very rare ones. So like we priced them accordingly and we were able to kind of like, uh, in, a, in a way, educate the, the public. And the one great thing about the snapbacks is that it, it provided organic PR because we didn't have enough money to, to have somebody that represented us. So everyone was talking about this one spot where to get snapbacks from, from fucking Chinatown to, to the Bronx. Everyone was... Th- was was talking right. about this one shop, and they, and I noticed that at an early age. I was like, "Fuck, this is amazing." I didn't plan that, but I'm realizing that. And when I opened up my my sh- my, my shop when I got back in the game three years ago, uh, I was like, "All right, well, snapbacks are 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 the idea of those dead stock snapbacks that the these hats that shit's over. It's it's done. It's played." They're on the subway. They're they're in your office. They're they're everywhere. They're in your you know your your mom's office, like your mom's house. Like um, you can't run away from a snapback. It's just it's there. It's 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 hit critical mass, which is fascinating to me. So what's the next thing? What's gonna bring my shop that I just opened up? What's gonna bring that organic PR? What are people gonna talk about? What isn't being offered? Where is the void? And to me. And I, I, this was extremely calculated. I plan to offer the best selection of vintage hip hop shirts. No one, no one was doing this. I was the first, hands down. And sorry to, I, I, I to everybody out there, I don't want to come across as, 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 uh, as, as having an ego. 
But at this stage of my life, like, you know, no one knows what I did in the snapback world, but I want people to know what I've done for this. Oh, yeah. Closed mouths don't get fed. Point. Coffee shop or we work for one year? Oh, shit. <laughs> Coffee shop for sure. I can't. Okay. Co-working spaces just turn me off. Have you been in a WeWork? Never. It's I mean, I walk by. There's one near my office. I walk by it every day. There's one next door. Yeah. There's challenges to, to sharing an office with someone, and there's challenges of working at a place. I think the WeWork thing, it just feels uh, – something about it feels bad to me. I don't know. I also feel there could be some forced socializing that I don't want to participate in. Yeah, it's it's got this weird thing where it's like nobody has any ownership over the – like success of the space yeah. together so it's like you got this kind of like public it, it's very strange i i thought it was kind of cool i was at one but i would choose a coffee shop too i like i like coffee shops actually uh okay this is kind of a dry one city or country more inspiring oh city i, okay. I don't do country a lot of people like i feel like i see popping up more and more like the in like the fashion online internet world lookbook stuff just like People are always out in the country. I'm well, like, it looks pretty. It's very pretty, and it's cool, but I like I like the way this stuff looks, and I like the way it feels in theory, but then if I'm there for a couple of days, I'm ready to go back. All right, let's get into some specifics and fun stuff. Okay, I just kind of half want to just say his name to prove that I can pronounce it. De- Demna Vasalia. Dem- wow. Demna Vasalia, yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, that designer for the the brand. This part I'm not going to butcher, Vetement. Yeah, no, that's right. Um. What's the deal? Inspiring, uninspiring, uninspired? I mean, I've never seen somebody get more press more quickly in my life. It's amazing. I think it's cool. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's like, yeah, it's cool. And it's, I mean, at least he got that. I mean, the Balenciaga thing is people like, and he got a job. And the, the Venomal thing is interesting because it's supposed to be a collective, but he's kind of the face of it and, you know, that whole thing. Um, and I actually do see people wearing it here, and I wonder if that's the case other places. You have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? I mean, look, I'm in Soho all day. It's like the only place you would see it. Like but, if someone's walking around with a $650, like, extremely long sleeve sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, it's so funny, though, because that thing, like, if you look at lookbooks right now, you'll see the long sleeves. Like, it's like not, you know, there's already, uh, the uh, styling-wise, that's already happening based on his his work. Um but he's the darling. I mean, he's gotten so much press. It's just crazy. The press blows my mind. Is because the, the clothes cl- aren't really wearable. That's what I was going to say. And they're expensive, but there's smartly, they've made stuff that is less expensive, and that's what you see people wearing, in my experience. I, you don't see people wearing, if you're at Paris Fashion Week, people are wearing the real shit. Here, they're wearing sweatshirts or the raincoat or a jacket. The, the less expensive, you know. Still expensive, but less expensive right. on the spectrum of, of what they're making. But is it the clothes, really? Is it that? I feel like everything I read is it's like this burst of fresh air, breath of fresh air, and it's like, but I feel like every time I get into it, it's like, okay, so he put like low, like references to certain cultural, uh, you know, iconography. And also it's like he put his show in a China Chinese restaurant yeah. or something like that. I think it's a, I think that fashion world is always looking for that darling you know someone new to really uplift and make the face of everything and i think that he kind of embodies you know the the mix of high and i mean the high and low because it's like he, yeah. it's like all that skate shit that's really popping right. and that the streetwear stuff and then making that you right. know fashion 
I'm not sure. Maybe it is. I just don't know if I get it. I don't. I just, I, maybe I'm missing. I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying I get it. I'm just saying I've read a lot about it because the guy's on yeah. every fucking thing all but, the time. But yeah, he really. It's in, and it's like apparently it was really fast. It's like to me, it's like almost like a very fast, perfect um, social media age. Yeah, it's fashion. right time. Right. I think, like I said, though, I think it really boils down to like that what he's making is very on trend with stuff that is lower priced but right. he's making a higher priced more refined version of it and that's what appeals to like these editors and so it's inspired bloggers. inspired from a business standpoint it is cool okay that recently letter of recommendation for vanderpump rules letter of recommendation yeah, is like my favorite column I've... willie staley shout out to him he's the editor uh i don't know definitely not gonna hear this but inspire me to listen to vanderpump rules Dude, in like a sentence you know i love that show <laughs> yes. i mean it's just the girl who wrote that, um, the the one on Sunday, is like it was really good. It was really I can't remember her name. Um, oh, Naomi Fry. Yeah, Naomi yeah, Fry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Naomi Fry, and it was just so good because it's it's the interesting thing about that show is that nothing happens, and that's the whole thing. But it's like you truly lose yourself in it because it's just mindless. And they've been so brilliant. I and this this I believe this is still true, is that they don't pay they won't pay them very much because if they pay them, then they're rich. So why would they work at a restaurant? You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. So it's just classic entertainment of like drunk people having sex with each other and then repeating that circle and changing the partners. And and then it also being like all of them are – I think Naomi says this in the article that, that, that like at the beginning of the series, they were all like aspiring actor or musician or model or whatever. And now it's kind of like – it's they mention that stuff, but it's more about just them being them because that's proven to be so successful. Yeah, Brady Ellis loves it too. I, it's just it's Which I mean it's right up my alley. It, it's me. right up my alley, um, and a lot of people you either love it or you're like this is the dumbest shit I've ever watched. But it's the epitome of reality TV to me. It's like exactly what a modern reality show should be because I, I they're not they're not famous, you know, and now I think we're so used to seeing famous people in those situations right. because of the Kardashians and like that whole kind of thing that it's nice to see people that like are normal to a fault. Interesting. And they live in shitty apartments in like West Hollywood. I'm going to check it out eventually <laughs> once I figure out how to navigate to Bravo <laughs> through the various screens that I own. Okay. <laughs> so more inspiring Collie Grove or the new Kendrick. Oh, Collie Grove, man. Agreed. Collie Grove is hard. Agreed. I haven't listened to the new Kendrick because I don't care. But I also I have and I care. He's great, but what is what is it? It's like... Is it actually unmixed unmastered? No. I don't think so. If it was unmastered, I... it would sound Why would terrible. I want to hear that? It actually it, it sounds great. So that's actually that's one of the weirdest things about the, that album is that it's actually like a very it's got this beautiful jazz thing okay. that he did on Tobacco Butterfly. But it's like very chill. It's like all the more easily digestible parts of To Pimp a Butterfly. Oh, that's interesting. Actually. Stretched out a bit and kind of like so almost it's, it's, mu- it's musical. He's va- they kind of like the collective is like vamping a bit mm. across. I, I, know, I know what it, I know. But also right, but also he's also like Ben. There's just some like you know he'll do like sixty four bars in a row. I yeah. think. Don't call me to that. I didn't. Well, count, I'm, but... I'm very. I mean, I th- I just think he's talented. I just don't think the songs that that fun to listen to. And Collie Grove is the exact opposite of that. And I love. I just want to go on record saying that I actually think that late period, like very recent, Lil Wayne yeah. has been really underrated. 
Free well, Weezy album and No Ceilings Two are both. It's because he shit on us for so long that people yeah. kind of lost him. He went really bad. I don't think for a while. he. I think that that. I think Collie Grove could have just been two chains, honestly, but I think that that's a smart move because the motherfucking right is the best song. That shit is so good. Yeah, and that's just two chains. You know yeah. what I mean? And that was pre- that premiered before that. That was on the OVO radio. I, I'm still waiting for I Can't Feel My Face, which is the Jewel Santana Lil Wayne mixtape. I'm just kidding. I don't think. I was like, something like literally. Yeah, it's probably there. 10 years ago. It's got to be It's got to be in a in a hard drive. It might have drive. come out eventually. You no know Freaky Zeke. Freaky Zeke's got that on a hard drive, man. Uh, okay. Futures pop-up shop, inspired or uninspired. From what I saw, it's looking rough. What is that? Can you explain? Do you know what the deal is with it? It's, it's like a brand that he started. Well, it's Free Bands, which is, is the it? label. But it didn't look like the. It looks like garbage, is what. But it, looks it didn't like. have like the logo. No, it's like fashion. You right. know, it's like a. I mean, it looks bad, which is tough because future. Th- that's the thing with future is that he keeps it too real. I think, like using, it like where he comes from and what he stands for. It's cooler to use clip art. Because you just don't give a fuck for your album cover than it is to hire some artist the way Drake would or the way Kanye would. And I appreciate that to a point. When you start making clothes, I don't know if people are going to buy them. The reason the OVO stuff works is because it's actually good. Yeah. The quality is good. The design is good. It's not offensive in any way. It's just good, well-made clothes. And I, I think – and the Kanye merch is the same thing. It's really clever. It's timely. And this stuff is the opposite of that. Yeah, super weird. I didn't get it. I, it was like it was tone deaf, and then what's really funny? I saw the future show like two weeks. Oh, ago. did you go? Yeah, and he retired all the jerseys of each mixtape, and it was like the coolest thing. I, I saw it, my friend when he told me. I, that. I saw a picture. I, of I was going crazy. They didn't sell the jerseys though, did they? No. See that? See that's what yeah, I'm saying. Exactly. Like, how do you not do he that? He has great taste sometimes, and then it's, see, someone was like guiding him. He probably got some streetwear. Oh, he guru. hired. Yeah, he hired somebody. Uh, all right, last one. So Kanye West is inspired by his IKEA visit. Yeah, I saw that. The question, are we going to see a world with Yeezys in every home? And is that a good thing? I mean, he said that he's making a million pairs. But is he going is he going to is he going to outfit your, you know, like what <laughs> what is the ambition here? I think the ambition is to create everything that you possibly can as one man. So I think it'll be Actually, I would say that the Kanye West IKEA is more exciting to me than any any fashion thing he would do. I think it could be cool. I agree. It's a different. It's a different set of parameters to work within where you can't. It's a, It's just. In I think it's a little more. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily going for a literal like I want to make home wares. I think he. We know he wants to be more democratic and he wants to design everything for everybody. He yeah. wants to fix everyone's uh, cuff. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that what he's probably trying to learn from from them is mass. And scale. Definitely. But I also think that if you're Ikea and Kanye West wants to come talk to you, you're going to try to work out something on your end. I think it would be sick. I do too. He gave some He gave some t- some Twitter uh, shine to some like designer, web sh- web designer with like 300 followers, Swedish woman. It was like crazy. He's just in Sweden. Yeah, he's got enough people telling him what's up. I mean, he's and, and he's interested. I mean, at least he's interested. Because, I mean, you know. I'm not going to wear any of that shit, but it works. You know what I mean? Like people, not the clothes, the shoes and like the merch, it sells. I was going to say, he probably could make a billion and it would still have a line. Yeah, definitely. Outside the door. Definitely. That's not what it's about. It's about 
people wanting to be close to that celebrity, yeah. you know, and identify with that and have people identify with, with that when they walk down the street, I think. So Yeezy, Dresser, and, like, you know, TV stands? Yeah, I'm going to cop the, the Yeezy side chair. <laughs> Bright from, red. Yeah. I mean, I actually think, I don't know. I think that could be good. I think that could be one of his better side things that he does. I, I really believe that. So I'm, I'll wait for it. Cool. I won't go to Red Hook for it, but I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll wait for it. Oh, there'll definitely be a pop up. Oh, you're right. One more time. Yeah, they'll be like on Mercer. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right.